Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, <clears throat> who are you to judge your neighbour? Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone, then, knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. When I first started work in the city as a graduate engineer, a little over 20 years ago now, uh, I understood well enough that I was starting on the bottom rung of the company, uh, but when I showed up to my first day at the office, uh, they hadn't really prepared properly for my arrival, and the office manager didn't quite know where to put me. Uh, so they ended up parking me in the corner. But it wasn't the bad corner, it was the corner office with the windows that looked out over Darling Harbour. Uh, needless to say, uh, this did not endear me to my new colleagues. Uh, and within a few weeks, I'd been moved to more suitable lodgings for someone with my standing in the company. Uh, now, Australia, I think it's fair to say, doesn't have a terribly rigid or hierarchical social structure or, or corporate structure. It's certainly there, but things are generally more relaxed uh, than they are in many other parts of the world. You know, we often call, usually call our boss by their first name. Uh, we don't really like it when people pull rank. Um, but I think even in Australia, things do get a bit tense when people forget their place. Uh, we do have a sense of uh, a social etiquette and a hierarchy. You know, when a new member of a team shows up and starts dominating the discussion, or the least experienced person tells everyone how to do their job, uh, or someone younger tells someone much more senior uh, something that's quite disrespectful. Um, even in a culture as relaxed as ours, we all understand there are etiquettes to be followed, and we all get annoyed when people forget their place. Well, in the verses that we just had read for us, uh, we find James warning us not to forget our place uh, in relation to God. And he does this while dealing with two problems, uh, if we can call them problems. The first has to do with slandering and judging other people. And the second has to do with boasting. And in some ways, both of these problems are an expansion on the warnings that James has already given us about taming our tongues, uh, the way that we use our words. But there's another way that these two ideas are related because both of them are rooted in a kind of arrogance that might take hold in our hearts. An arrogance that sees us set ourselves up in God's place. James wants to tell us that we need to learn to let God be God, to remember who rules over this universe and over our lives. 
Because when we forget our place, when we try and take God's job, no good comes of it. And so he begins there in verse 11 with a straight-up command, really, not to slander each other. Read it with me again. Verse 11, chapter 4. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Slander is out, says James. Don't do it. Uh, We're not to be people who speak against others. James says that that's the same as setting ourselves up as judge and jury over other people. And when I hear that, I have to wonder, is James saying that we should never criticise one another? Because if that's what James is saying, well, then you'd have to admit that James is a first-rate hypocrite because he's been dishing out criticisms left, right and centre throughout this letter. As I said, in our culture where um, we might naturally be uh, not inclined towards hierarchy, uh, but... An idea like this, I think, our culture does want to gravitate towards. This idea that we ought not to judge one another. I think it kind of tickles the ears of our culture a bit. Because we all hate being judged by other people. I know I do. Um, And when I hear this, it it kind of feels like a flavour of Christianity that fits with the mood of our times. Where we think that everyone ought to be left to define for themselves what is right and wrong. Without question or without judgement from others. After all, as the passage says, who are we to judge our neighbours? And didn't Jesus say that very same thing? Don't judge lest you be judged. And I think James is most likely paraphrasing Jesus here in what he writes. But we do need to be careful not to be too reductionistic with these things. Because if we just latch onto that idea of not judging, um, what do we do with all of the judgy things that Jesus said to people? And all the judgy things that we find in James's letter where he's issuing all kinds of criticisms. I mean, he's stuck the boot into people over all sorts of issues, hasn't he? Condemning people for showing favouritism. Questioning the faith of those who show superficial love for others. For a guy who's telling us not to judge others, he's sure been doing plenty of it. So how do we bring those ideas together? Well, I think it's important to notice what James is actually talking about. And it was right there in that first verse, wasn't it? Verse 11. The context here is about slander. It's about speaking against others. The kind of judging that he's talking about is what takes place when, well, you make that nasty comment behind someone else's back. That gossip that's designed to damage someone's reputation. The kind of things that you're happy to say about someone but wouldn't be willing to say to them. That criticism that you make that you know doesn't come from a place of love and concern, but really just to wound, to tear down. And James says that when we do this kind of thing, it's as though we're speaking against God's law itself uh, and placing ourselves as judges over the law. There's that strange expression there, but I think if we keep in mind that Jesus summarised the law for us in this way, that we're to love our neighbour as ourselves, I think we can see what James is trying to get at. See, when we slander someone, it's 
the very defiance of God's command to love others as ourselves. You make yourself out to know better than God when you stand in judgment over someone else. All of this means we're assuming a role for ourselves that we ought not to have because the role belongs to God. Look at what he says in verse 12. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbour? Ultimately, it's God's place to judge, not yours, not mine. And James is saying, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are that you can pass judgment on another? There's only one lawgiver, one judge. And in the end, you're not answerable to me and I'm not answerable to you. But we are both answerable to God. Salvation and condemnation both rest in his hands. We do well to remember that before we decide to write someone off, condemn them, speak against them to others. I still clearly remember a time when I was doing some sharing with a friend of mine about another person in our church who was rubbing me up the wrong way, had been doing so for some time, in fact. And as I was having my whinge, uh, sharing all my frustrations about this person, my very wise friend simply said to me, have you ever tried to talk to them about any of this? And it stopped me in my tracks. I felt exposed, as I should have been. I had to admit that I hadn't spoken to them, and to be honest, I had no real intention of doing that. Dumping on them behind their back, that was much easier than doing the hard and the loving thing of actually talking to them about my concerns. That's exactly what James is talking about. It didn't matter whether I was right or wrong about the situation and this other person. It was about my motivation. How often do you find yourself in situations like that? Speaking against someone. How often might you indulge in that kind of slander where you're standing in judgment of other people? There's certainly a place for correction. James shows us much of that in this letter. But we need to do it very carefully. We need to do it with love. We need to do it in humility. Remembering that we're all flawed, that we're all dependent on God's grace, that none of us have perfect knowledge. And most of all, do it remembering that there's ultimately only one lawgiver and judge. Not you or me. We need to leave judgment in the hands of the only one who is fit for the job. The one who'll get it right every time. Well, James, uh, James changes, tack, changes topic a bit there in verse 13. Uh, but it's not unrelated to what he's just been talking about. He wants to talk about boasting, or a particular kind of boasting. Uh, read it with me there from verse 13 again of chapter 4. He says, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. 
Now, at first, this would seem to be bad news for the planners among us, like it's some kind of sin to be organised. Because, to be honest, what these people are saying doesn't sound that serious, does it? You know, we're going to go to this city, we're going to spend a year there, we'll carry on business, make some money. Really sounds more like clever business people doing some strategic planning. You know, they've done their due diligence on the markets around them, identified the best opportunities, and in their entrepreneurial spirit, they're prepared to even move. Uh, they're going to give it a go in another city. And I don't think God would have a problem with any of that, except for how they do all of this without reference to him. See, the problem is not about whether or not you make plans, even detailed plans. The issue is about arrogance and about presumption. James says these people are boasters. They're braggarts. They believe they control their own destinies. They think they can make their plans a reality through their own guile, their own intellect, their own scheming. It's not an issue of competence or confidence. Nothing wrong with either of those. The problem is that these people are refusing to acknowledge God's control over their lives, God's control over the world in which they're making these plans. This bit reminds me a little bit of a parable that Jesus once told, uh, the parable of the rich fool. You know that farmer who has the bumper crop and says he's got to tear down his barns and build bigger ones because he's got not enough room to store them. And then he says, I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to retire. I'm going to eat, drink and be merry. And the punchline of that parable is that God declares this man a fool, demands his life from him that very day and then says, who's going to get all this stuff you've saved up for yourself? Now, there's nothing wrong with having a retirement plan, but God says it's the height of foolishness when people think that they can carry on life without any reference to him. When people think uh, they can boast and brag about all that they have achieved and plan to do while leaving God out of the picture. Whether you're a careful planner or not is not really the point. I think this is something for the organised and the disorganised among us the planners and those who take it as it comes. James wants to talk to us about how we view our lives in God's world. He wants us to remember who we are. And who are you? Well, it's not a terribly flattering image, but in verse 14, he says that you are a mist. You'll appear for a little while and then vanish. You'll come and go. In fact, if you're honest... You have to admit that you don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. Have some humility, says James. Now, James isn't saying this to suggest that we're not valuable to God, that we're somehow insignificant. Not at all. He's saying this as a reality check for our arrogance. In the big picture of God's eternal universe, your life is a miss. So is mine. We'll come and go. So too is our knowledge about what the future holds. And our control over that future is even less so. We need to appreciate that. That brings wisdom, the kind of wisdom we've seen in the book of James. It keeps us humble. keeps us from presuming that we can fashion the future into our own image of it. If anything could, 
The last two years really ought to have taught us these lessons, shouldn't it? Now, coming into 2020, who among us had any idea of what the next two years were actually going to look like for ourselves, for our families, our city, our state, our nation, the, the world? It's a reminder to us, or at least it ought to be, that we ought not to think that we can exercise absolute control over our lives, over our futures. But sadly, so often we carry on like we can. In our arrogance, we believe that the future is ours to bend to our will. I wonder if the last couple of years have taught you any of these lessons, to learn to humbly accept that we cannot inoculate ourselves from every crisis, from every difficulty, from every threat in this world. It's an illusion to think that we can. A brief look at history ought to teach us that. Even the experiences of those in our families, in our community, or even from our own life experiences, it ought to teach us that nothing in this world is certain. But for those of us that know God... We shouldn't need a pandemic to teach us this. We shouldn't need a deadly virus to remind us that this world is not ours to manipulate. So James offers us a powerful warning here, not to be people who stray into godless arrogance when it comes to planning for the future and even how we would approach each and every day. Keep your plans humble, says James. That is to say, remember how much you don't know Remember how much you don't control. So let me ask you, what plans have you drawn up for the year ahead, for the next five years? Have you got a 10-year plan? Have you got it all mapped out? Nothing wrong with making plans. But I wonder, did God get much of a look in? How does what God is doing in this world fit into your plans? Perhaps it might be better to think about it the other way around and think about how your plans might fit in with his. Do you consider carefully how your time, your employment, your resources, even where you live, the gifts that you have, how all of those things can be used for his sake, how you can use them in his service, how Jesus can be honoured through them, How would you rate your arrogance levels when it comes to your plans? Do you make your plans with the kind of qualification that James encourages us to attach to everything we do here? Notice there in verse 15, he talks about saying, we ought to say if it's God's will, if it's God's will, we'll live or do this or do that. Are you happy to leave those things in God's hands? To say honestly, well, if it's God's will, if it's God's desire, then I'll get married. I'll have children. I'll get that job. I'll earn that qualification. I'll live in that place. I'll keep living it all. Saying if it's God's will isn't meant to be some sort of holier-than-thou tagline that we attach to the end of our sentences, But it does mean, what it's meant to mean, is that you're truly content to trust God with the outcome of those things, with the circumstances of life that you'll encounter. 
Now, I don't think any of this is to exclude the ordinary wisdom that we ought to exercise in life. You know, the kinds of things that we find in a book like Proverbs, uh, the wisdom that's gleaned from observing the way the world works, the way things are. You know, we find things like this. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. The sluggard craves and gets nothing, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. Wisdom tells us that hard work, careful planning, brings reward. Diligence is a good thing. It'll bring wealth, it'll bring satisfaction. But of course, these are truisms, aren't they? And truisms aren't always true. There are some people who work very hard, but remain in poverty. We can't always draw neat lines between cause and effect in this world. And at the same time, while this is a principle which we usually find to be true, it also tells us something about what pleases God. Diligence and effort bring wealth, but they bring God's approval too. So, of course, make decisions, make your plans, do the work. God doesn't want us sitting around in a room waiting for him to make it happen for us. Often that's just a pious-sounding cover-up for laziness, isn't it? But as we make our plans, as we go about our lives, we ought to be mindful of God, be people who are humble, who are prayerful, who are dependent upon him. Beware your arrogance. Don't cut God out of the picture. In a way, that's what James has been wanting to deal with over the last couple of chapters, a kind of thinking and an attitude that ignores God, that defies God. If we say we belong to him, James is calling us to live like it, to be devoted to him and him alone. We can't be people who sit on the fence, who dabble in the world's way of thinking and doing things. The consequences are disastrous for those around us, for ourselves. James wants to say it's just not on for those who call themselves followers of Jesus. Remember our God, as we heard last week, gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud, the boasters. There's one lawgiver and one judge, one ruler of this world, Let's not be fools who think we can take God's job.